Good morning. Uh, as you're joining us from home, hopefully uh, this week, I hope that you're having a great day and that you're being safe. I do want to remind you that uh, the best way to find out information each week in regard to our worship services is by going to concordbaptistva.org. Also, uh, you may feel free to call me uh, at the number uh, in the phone book under Reverend Rick Caldwell, and I'll leave a message uh, to that effect on Sunday mornings when there may be a question. You know, back in the days of antenna television, a man was on the roof of his home replacing the old antenna. The new antenna was very heavy and it was awkward and he was trying to, uh, he was working by himself, he was trying to place the antenna and hold that in place as he was attaching the cable to the roof protecting the cable from wind damage. It happened to be a windy day which he was working and losing balance. The man slid down the roof uh, catching himself on the gutter at the edge of the roof. No one was at the home. No one was helping him on the job. And so in panic, he screamed toward heaven. He said, can somebody up there help me? A voice from heaven said, I can help you. The man said, well, what should I do? The voice from heaven said, let go and I will catch you. The man responded, is there anyone else up there who can help? You know, sometimes we treat God's commands to us in this way. He gives us a command, and rather than directly obey it, we begin to rationalize. I think of the Old Testament example of Elijah and Naaman. You remember Naaman, the Aramean uh, military leader, had a skin disease that was very dreaded. And, and he came to Elijah, and Elijah told the man, he said, Go to the Jordan River and wash seven times, and you will be healed. Naaman was angry with Elijah. He said, are there not better rivers here in our territory? A little while later, the military leader Naaman had some wise servants who addressed his grievance, and they said, if Elijah had told you to do something profound or difficult, would not you have done it? Just do the simple thing. You know, God's commands are for our good. And we're in the midst of a series of messages here in Hebrews chapter 13 that speak of various commands in, in this chapter. Uh, I, I titled this series of messages, and this is the third and last week of this series, God's Instructions for the New Year and Always. I want you to look with me this morning in Hebrews chapter 13 and beginning in verse 15. It says, Therefore, through him... Let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. That is, the fruit of lips that confess his name. Don't neglect to do what is good and to share, for God is pleased with such sacrifices. Obey your leaders and submit to them, since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us. For we are convinced that we have a clear conscience, wanting to conduct ourselves honorably in everything. And I urge you all the more to pray that I may be restored to you very soon. Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip you with everything good to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. 
Brothers and sisters, I urge you to receive this message of exhortation, for I've written to you briefly. Be aware that our brother Timothy has been released. If he comes soon enough, he will be with me when I see you. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who are from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with you all. Let us pray. Lord, as we close this series of messages in Hebrews 13, Lord, we're reminded over these past couple of lessons, and as we'll see today, that, God, you give us commands in your word for our good. But, Lord, you don't just give us those commands and set us on our own way, but as we see near the end of this book that you equip us to be able to live a life that is pleasing to you. Father, we love you. God, our study this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, in the uh, first two weeks of this study, we've seen a number of commands. In the first week, we looked at four direct commands in the first seven verses, and we saw how uh, God is telling uh, the people through the author of Hebrews that it's important to stay connected in the ministry of the local church. It's important that we minister to others. In fact, verse 2 of this same chapter tells us that in doing so, we actually may entertain or minister to angels without knowing it. We looked in verse 4 where it tells us that we're to honor marriage, and we agreed that that's both the unmarried and the married, that the marriage bed is to stay undefiled. And then as we move into verse 5 and on, we see uh, that it's important that we have a right understanding of our possessions, that we're not to place our possessions in a position of idolatry, but we're to be content, we're to put Jesus above our possessions. Last week, we noticed a few other commands, but we also saw that there are some things that are unchanging, that keep us grounded. In other words, Jesus Christ, his person, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We also saw that the message of the gospel does not change. It's not to be added to, nor is is it to be taken from. We saw how the believer's destination is a sure destination and unchanging. It's not a moving target, but we as Christians, we're headed somewhere, and that gives us focus in this life. But today, as we close this study in Hebrews, we're going to see some general commands for us as believers, then uh, we're going to also see some instruction for spiritual leaders. And finally, and I think interestingly, at the end of this chapter and book, we see that as I prayed, God doesn't just set us out to do these things in our own strength, but he actually equips us in such a way that we're able to please God and we please God by obeying these commands. Well, first this morning, I want to look at the responsibility of the recipients of this letter. These were Christians who were recipients also of God's grace, and we see three commands this morning that we can add to our bullet points, bullet points rather, um, among the other commands that we've seen in the past three weeks. But the first thing we see as Christians is we're to speak the name of Jesus. We're to speak the name of Jesus. You know, we're to speak to him and we're to speak about him. We are to praise him and we are to witness. One is directed toward God, speaking of God's greatness to who he is and to him. The other is speaking of God's greatness toward others. Notice what he says here in our first verse that we're studying today. Therefore, let us through him 
continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of lips that confess his name. Praise is speaking toward God. And while we can confess to God, we also can confess about him to others. You know, I like what Albert Barnes, a commentator, and how he wisely expresses that the offering about which this writer is speaking, because we know that Hebrews is within a Jewish context and there's so much old covenant symbolism in it. But he says that the writer here is really likely does not have in mind the burnt offering or the sin offering or the trespass offering described in the first few chapters of Leviticus because all of these were offerings that sought atonement or approval or forgiveness or acceptance from God. And, and Barnes rightly says it could not be referencing these offerings because that sacrifice, this side of the cross, as the readers were reading his letter, had already been accomplished through Jesus Christ. He died once for all. His offering was sufficient. But as Barnes further speaks in his book, he, he shares how there were also other offerings apart from the burnt offering and the sin offering and the trespass offering. For instance, there was the peace offering. And the peace offering was a later offering. It, it did not seek to gain acceptance from God. Rather, it gave thanks for that acceptance already received. And so we see here that the offering about which the writer of Hebrews is speaking is a sacrifice of thanks, of thanks for what God has already done for us. This sacrifice of atonement has been accomplished through Jesus Christ. And so in response to what he has done for us, we're to offer a sacrifice of praise. I wonder, do you take time and stop about and think about what a great effect the atonement has had in your life. Have you thought about what it means from moving to a position of being at enmity against God to being a child of God? And, and as we reflect on these things, what we begin to understand is the greatness of God and the greatness of his love toward us and the natural result would issue forth in praise to God that our lips would offer a sacrifice of praise. We'll see in a moment that our praise is to go even beyond what we say, but it does include what we say, just like that peace offering under the old covenant. Recognizing what God has done for us, we offer our praise to him, but we also speak to others about him. That which matters to us is going to be at the center of our conversation. The last part of the verse speaks of the believer confessing his name. And one of the great responsibilities we have as Christians, as followers of Christ, is to confess him before others. And so we see first the sacrifice of praise from our lips. But there's a second response and a second command that we see here that we're to share to meet the needs of others. Look at verse 16. He writes there, Don't neglect to do what is good and to share, for God is pleased with such sac sacrifices. He's already spoken in the verse previous to this way, that one way we offer a sacrifice is through praise from our lips, through speaking of, to him and about him. 
but also our sacrifices have to do with our giving to other people. Going back to the explanation Barnes offered, our thanks for God, our peace offering to God, our thanks for what he has done most certainly should issue forth in how we live, not just in what we say, in meeting the needs of others. The term greedy Christian is an oxymoron. It's an impossibility. Jesus teaches in the gospel that when we do an act of giving to the least of these, he tells us in Matthew 25, we have done it unto him. What is Jesus saying there in Matthew 25? He's saying, as we minister to others, actually we're ministering to him. It's actually an act, not just to that individual, but it is an act toward the Lord Jesus Christ in acknowledgement of him. He expresses his pleasure in our giving. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 42, when Jesus says, whoever gives a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, because he is my disciple, because he is my disciple, shall not lose his reward. You know, a great resolution for us in 2022 is this. Lord, I will, in your name and for your glory, share to meet the needs of others as your spirit leads me. And in doing so, that is my offering of thanks to you. But then there's a third responsibility. Not only are we to offer praise with our lips to Jesus and about Jesus, not only are we to minister to the needs of others, but in verse 17 and verse 19, we see the responsibility that we're to submit to and to pray for our spiritual leaders. In fact, what he is saying here, that our conduct can, in effect, affect our spiritual leaders and can help them do their work in a stronger way. I was thinking as I read this about the sin that kept Moses from the promised land. You may remember it. God told Moses on this particular occasion, there were more than one time uh, that, that Moses, through the power of God, was able to bring water from the rock. But there was that time when God told Moses to speak to the rock and you may remember it, in this occasion, Moses became frustrated and he struck the rock. And it was a sin. He relied on himself rather than on God. And this was a sin that was before all of the people and it kept him from going into the promised land. And so while it was Moses' sin, I think we can rightly say through the study of God's word, that the people who were following, following him contributed to the sin. Their constant complaining was like that extra straw on the camel's back, leading to his frustration, which led to his disobedience. In fact, that is the exact opposite attitude that we find here in verse 17, where it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give account, so that, notice what it says, they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. And so he says that we as followers toward our spiritual leaders have a responsibility to be submissive 
and to not make the leadership of those over us difficult. And the interesting thing is he says that actually is to our benefit if we possess such an attitude. But there's a clear understanding that we might say as a disclaimer to this verse, and that's this. If a spiritual leader is leading in a way that is contrary to the gospel of Christ, that is a discredit to God, that is at enmity with God in his plan, that one is not to be followed. We understand that. We've already seen earlier in the chapter that we need to have that discernment and understand that when someone goes away from the gospel, we don't submit to that, but we submit to the truth of the gospel. Such leaders are to be resisted. However, if God has called an individual, that individual conducts himself in a way that is consistent with the gospel, and that one is an example. The scripture says here we're to submit for the sake of the position, for the good not only of the spiritual leader that he might be able to serve more effectively, but for the church itself. He adds in verse 19, not only that, that, Actually, in verse 18, pray for us, pray for us. We're to pray for our leaders. The writer here was in a position of authority. That's why this is scripture. That's why he was writing to the church. He was instructed. And so as he is saying, pray for me, in a a sense, as their spiritual leader, the one who was directing them, he was asking for prayers for himself. And so here in verse uh, 19, well, verse 18, rather, and verse 19, we see two practical things that we can pray for our spiritual leaders. The first is in verse 18. We pray that our spiritual leaders would be an example of Christ's likeness inside and out. Notice verse 18 where he says, pray for us, and then he says, for we are convinced that we have a clear conscience. In other words, inwardly, his life at that point was consistent, was, was rightly motivated. But he said also wanting to conduct ourselves honorably in everything. In other words, what he's saying in verse 18 is pray for us and the desire of our heart is that we be consistent inwardly and outwardly. That inwardly uh, we would be in right relationship with God and outwardly in right relation toward others. But then in verse 19, he gives another way that we can pray for our spiritual leaders, not only for their spiritual closeness to the Lord, but for the practical ability to communicate the gospel. In other words, I urge you all the more to pray that I may be restored to you very soon. We live in days today where we're blessed. If we can't meet, there's access through the Internet to be able to hear messages. In that particular day, being there was so important. We don't know where the writer was. We know in verse 23 that obviously Timothy had been imprisoned and was being released. And so we, we might conclude that that. For the sake of the gospel, the writer here uh, was in bondage, was not free to go. But basically what he is praying, pray that the path of my ministry would be undeterred. So as we pray for our spiritual leaders, we pray for their spiritual walk with the Lord, but we also pray for their ministry, not just their person, but their ministry that that it might be open. What What a way that we can pray for our leaders in this year that you can pray for me. But very quickly, I want to look also at the responsibility of spiritual leaders. Those would be individuals who speak 
the gospel of Christ. And again, I want to look briefly at three things, responsibilities that spiritual leaders have. The first is seek the welfare of those one serves. Spiritual leaders, it says in verse 17, are to keep watch over the souls of those who follow them. In, in the second to last book of the Bible, Jude, we see that God warns of false teachers. And when you study the book of Jude, you see so many descriptions of false teachers. But in the midst of that epistle, one way false teachers are described is this. They are shepherds who look out only for themselves. They would be the ones, the shepherds, that when the bear or the lion would come, they would flee to save their own lives. They would not be concerned about the flock. But a spiritual leader is not to be that way. A true spiritual leader is not to serve in order to be an authority, is not to serve for the purpose of financial gain, for influence of power. The, the minister of the gospel, the pastor of the church, the spiritual leader is to serve for the welfare of the flock. And part of that is rightly teaching the word of God. But not only is the spiritual leader to be concerned primarily with the welfare of others, but he is also to serve with joy. I think back to the illustration just a couple of moments ago about Moses and certainly the people and their disobedience and their groaning and complaining was a burden to Moses' spiritual leadership but we would be remiss if we did not admit that Moses held responsibility for his action he was the one that received the judgment not the people as a whole specifically here what Moses allowed to happen was this he began to be frustrated in ministry. And the, the spiritual leader is not just to carry out ministry in a perfunctory manner, but he is to serve with joy. In fact, it's very clear here at the end of verse 17 that serving with joy and not with grief is beneficial to the whole. If you're a spiritual leader, it's good to remind yourself why you're serving. It's good to remind yourself whom you're serving. If there's a lack of joy in ministry right now, you need to ask yourself, why is this? Am I serving from my own strength? Am I serving with the wrong motivation, an impure motivation? Am I serving expecting results where I need to understand that I'm planting the seeds, God is the one who gives the increase? The minister is to serve with joy, but finally we see the minister is to conduct himself honorably. Verse 18 is issued as a prayer. Pray for us. And, and as he goes through, he speaks again, as we said a moment ago, of that inward part, the clear conscience, and the outward part, the conduct. And so the minister should have a pure conscience, should not... Uh, be affected by things like the thought life or inner attitudes or grudges that will affect his ability. But not only that, proper comportment must conduct himself. No one should look at a spiritual leader and say, that person's dishonest, that person is, is sorry. We're, as spiritual leaders, we are not to bring 
a negative influence on the name of God. We're not to be harsh or arrogant or hardened in demeanor. And so we see that the responsibility of the spiritual leaders is threefold here in the text. Be concerned about the flock, not yourself. Serve with joy and conduct yourself honorably. Well, as we move to the end of this message in this series of three messages, the author goes through what is the normal benediction and farewell. We see them in New Testament letters. But very interestingly, the author focuses on God and his provision. For the great majority of chapter 13, we've seen this. You must do this. You must submit to leaders. Keep the marriage bed undefiled. Minister to the needs of others. Keep yourselves in the fellowship. Remember, Jesus Christ doesn't change. Do not um, uh, mess with the content of the gospel. And so we see command after command, bullet point after bullet point. But then it's, it's interesting, closes in verses 20 and 21 by focusing on the Lord. His prayer is, now may the God of peace, who brought up from, our de- from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, what's he saying about God the Father? He's able. But he says, the great shepherd of the sheep, he's caring. We just saw that the bad shepherd flees and doesn't care. The great shepherd cares. So he's able. He brought up Jesus from the dead. He can enable us. He cares about us. But also he's faithful through the blood of the everlasting covenant. This book of Hebrews speaks often of the once for all sacrifice of Christ, the faithfulness of God. And so as he closes in verses, it was specifically in verse 20, he speaks to the character of God, that God is powerful, he's able, he's caring, he's faithful. But then he follows it in verse 21, that he would equip you with every good thing to do his will. You know, we laugh at the opening illustration of that man on the roof. He wanted another option, didn't he? An option different from jumping and trusting in God. But the truth of the matter is, and I'm not telling you to go jump off of roofs, but the truth of the matter is, God is able to handle what we need. Among all of these commands in Hebrews chapter 13, so many commands that it's taken us three weeks to go over them, we realize that we cannot go into a new year and please God through our obedience and our own strength. In fact, we can't go one day. And so I like how the writer ends it. I want to speak of the first part of verse 20 and then move to 21. He says, may may the God of peace, and then as we move to 21, because he describes the God of peace in verse 20, but the prayer is, may the God of peace equip you with everything good to do his will, working in us what is pleasing to him. So as we consider all of these commands, we need to not bypass the truth that it is God who works in us to be able to live a life that is pleasing in his sight. The beautiful thing about the nature of our God is this. He gives us the command, but that's not enough. He equips us. He calls us to a work. He gives us the shovel to do it, but not only that, he works with us 
and through us and in us to do his will. That needs to be our prayer this year as we close this series of messages on these various commands. God, work in me and through me that I may obey your commands, that I might live a life that's pleasing to you. Let's pray. Father, as we close this study in Hebrews 13, we thank you enough that you teach us about yourself, about what matters to you through the various commands that we've studied here in Hebrews 13. But we thank you even more than that, that, Father, you do not just give us written words and leave us alone, but, God, through the power of your Spirit, you work in us to live a life that is pleasing to you. Father, as we go into this new year, as we're in the middle of this month of January, Help us to make our prayer the prayer of John the Baptist that you would increase, we would decrease. To your glory we pray in Jesus' name, amen.